If you were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, you might have heard Kathy give a challenge to use the Philippians 4-8 tool on ordinary things in your life. And she gave a couple examples, like driving the car or maybe baking some cookies and having some cookies in the kitchen. Well, I've asked Regan if she would share a little bit about how she's been applying, what she's been thinking about, uh, and how she's been thinking about things. So uh, thank you for your yes, and would you just share with us the things that you have, have been thinking about? Oh, sorry, forgot to grab your mic. <laughs> we'll put it on here. You're good. Good morning, guys. My name is Reagan Snyder, and as Pastor Katie said, she just asked me to share briefly how I've personally been pursuing the mind of Christ. I'm very excited to be up here. I attended the Bold Conference in Kansas City a few weeks ago, which all of you have heard about now. And that experience, coupled with the recent sermon series, has caused me to make some significant changes in my habits so that I can further adopt the mind of Christ. The biggest change for me has been social media. I've never had platforms like Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok or the platforms that you typically think of to be the quote-unquote problem makers in society. But I did have Pinterest, and initially I thought that was safe enough. I mean, guys, it's Pinterest. <laughs> but during Bold, I realized I was wrong. It was filling my thoughts, my focus, and my time. I was flooded with a constant feed of what to wear, what to eat, funny vines, inspirational ideas. I would find myself mindlessly scrolling whenever I was bored or had time. I would find myself just like on the app, like not even really remembering how I had gotten there. It consumed me. The scary thing is that I didn't even recognize it or allow myself to recognize it. So I was literally on my knees at the conference, begging God to show me ways where I needed to surrender to him. It had been bugging my conscience for a long time, but sometimes we're really good at lying to ourselves. I also stopped listening to secular music. I stopped doing that before the sermon series and the Bold Conference, but both of those influences redoubled my resolve. These are just a few examples of changes that I've made. Um, basically what I did is I went through a list of things that I partake in on a daily basis, and I compared them to the Philippians 4 passage. I asked myself, is this pure? Is it lovely, excellent, admirable, praiseworthy? You guys know the list goes on. But if the answer was no, then I asked myself, can I use this resource in a different way or see it in a different way so that it brings him honor and glory? Or is this something you want me to lay down, Lord? There were so many things that become my well and my source when I felt dry that I had to let go of. And guys, I'm so, so far from perfect. I know God is gonna continue revealing things to me my whole life to surrender to him. This is strange. The funny thing is, if somebody had told me what I'm telling you today, even just like a few weeks ago to me, I would have dismissed them as extreme. Like, I really would have. I mean, I wasn't doing anything bad, per se, but what I was doing wasn't drawing me closer to him. Please don't let anything ever be too little for you to surrender it to your Savior. Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty three, 23, whoever is not for me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. The context that Jesus is using here relates to an argument that he was having with religious leaders, but what he's saying is that neutrality isn't an option. This is also true with our habits. Habits that aren't necessarily for him, like for me that was Pinterest, are against him. And don't get me wrong, my Pinterest feed was clean, my Strava posts were clean, my secular music it was clean. These things were good, but it was the way that I was using him, they weren't for him. I wanna be all for him. This all seems a little bit overkill. Frankly, it's weird in our culture, 
but our culture doesn't have the mind of Christ. To close, I want to quote Becky Johnson, whom I heard speaking at the Bold Conference. She said, salvation, it's free, but it's going to cost you everything. But here's the thing, guys. It cost you a life you didn't want anyways. All those things you clung to, you're not going to miss them. End quote. Guys, I'm a sinner and far from perfect. I really am a hypocrite to say all these things. But my prayer is that regardless, God would use my story to encourage you to review your own habits and ask yourself if they're helping you or distracting you in your pursuit of the mind of Christ. Thank you, guys. Round of applause. Drop the mic right there, right? I mean, <laughs> I might as well go sit down. We don't, you don't need anything after that. You got it. You got a testimony of God's power, and you've got that courage to lay things down. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love what Reagan had to say that our habits are going to take us towards the thoughts of Christ or away from him. Every habit we choose into, it matters. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 6 reminds us, we have, you already have the mind of Christ. The issue is whether or not we're using it to think thoughts like Jesus. So we're gonna break that down even more today. Not only does a habit that you choose matter, every thought, like we've been talking about in this series, every thought matters a lot. Last week in our Get Out of Your Head study, uh, the, the women's study we're doing on Wednesday night, Jenny Allen shared the following thing, and uh, Kathy and John, they've talked about the brain. They could uh, probably build this out even further. But she said, inside your brain are about 86 billion nerve cells, little neurons. These represent only about 2% of your body's 37 trillion cells. Inside each of these 86 billion cells are microtubulars each of which is thousands times smaller in diameter than one strand of your hair. Not seen by the eye. But they mean everything in how we process life. These brains of the cell are constantly building and deconstructing. They're coming apart and coming together. They're starting, they're stopping in accordance with every thought that you have. Every thought that you have, your cells are either working to build mental scaffolding or tearing that down. It deposits a chemical signature. Her research has shown that from a time a thought enters into your brain until it creates one of these signatures is about 10 minutes. 10 minutes for that scaffolding to complete the structure of the cell. Another way to think about it, out of it is in about 10 minutes, a singular thought has even either enhanced some neural circuits or it has caused it to die off. It has awakened some neurons or allowed some to drift to sleep. It's built an entire city or it's left others a ghost town. There's two ways to look at this information. One leaves me a little terrified. My negative thoughts are literally wrecking my brain in about 
10 minutes. There's things about that that are true. But before we go down that route, the opposite is also true. If I've made a habit of thinking negative thoughts, I'm only 10 minutes away from a fresh start. And that's what we've been looking at. Can I get that slide number three? As we look at this slide and we think about what we have been invited to think about, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, today we're going to camp on admirable, we have literally been building positive neuron circuits in our mind. We are training ourselves to engage the mind of Christ. And the more that we do this, the more it becomes natural. Although it is training, it does not come easy, for me at least. So today, we're focusing on admirable. Other translations call it things that are focused on what are commendable. I could get that next slide. The original word is made up of two straightforward Greek words, euphame, good rapport, or good fame. And so you, E-U, means good or well. Feme, rapport, or news, or fame. According to Philippians 4.8, we're supposed to be admirable, commendable, establishing good rapport. So what are those things that we can focus our life on that might result in being admirable? Or another way to frame this question up, how can our lives reflect the good news? Similar to Tom's list that he had up here a few weeks ago when he was teaching about purity, some Christians might think their reputation based on things like morality, doctrine, church attendance. Many, many believe that this will give an admirable reputation and these are not bad things. I'm not saying that. We do want to live moral lives. We need sound doctrine. And church is the place where we can worship and grow, grow in Christ's love. So these are not bad things, but the Greek language gives a little bit different type of a list to build a good reputation on. The first half of the word, you, E-U, is used three times in the New Testament. And the book, if you're following along with the book that we've been referencing, they have four. I couldn't find the fourth one in my, uh, in my studies that I use, my concordance I use, so but there are people that are a lot smarter than I am and I'm okay with that, but I'm going with three here uh, today from my studies. And they are faithfulness, kindness, and honor. These, these behaviors help us to become single-minded in Christ. So we find it, we find you, E-U, in faithfulness in Matthew 25, 21, and 23. This is the parable of the talents, where the people have been given talents, they come back and Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. He uses this word, good, to commend the faithful workers. We also find it in Ephesians 6, 2 verse 3, honoring your father and mother. 
the first commandment with a promise that it may go well, EU, with you, that you may enjoy long life on earth. When we honor our parents, it's good. Another thing that happens is it's not only noticed by our parents, but also others. When we show honor, there's good attached to it. And this idea of honor doesn't just end with our parents, it extends to other relationships as well. For today, we're gonna stay mostly in this idea of kindness. And so if you wanna follow along in your Bible, we're gonna head to Mark 14, one through 11. Mark 14, one through 11. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of, nard, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, whatever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus said, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing for me. That's translated, that's where the you is translated. Some translations, she has shown beautiful kindness to me. So let's step into this story just a little bit. I know it's familiar to some of us. Just the alabaster jar alone would have been considered a luxury item. But the fact that it was filled with nard uh, showed, and, and most scholars agree, about a year's worth of wages. So here is Mary who has an encounter with Jesus and out of the overflow of her heart, she said, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna get this. The, the nard probably came from northern India, so had to travel uh, over land, uh, yep, into the Middle East. And she came to, to this meal where Jesus was. And in the book of John, it says that she was carrying about 12 ounces. And in other gospel um, accounts where Jesus is, is being anointed and there's oil and things like that, they always are pouring on the feet. But Mary sees something different in Jesus. She recognizes Jesus as the king and it says that he, and we're gonna just represent, the cross is gonna represent Jesus. And about 12 ounces of oil would have been just probably dripping all over his robes from his head 
to his feet. An expression of kindness poured out into this place. She realized that his kingdom alone is worthy of her best. Similar to what Reagan was sharing, Jesus, it is your kingdom alone that is worried, that is worthy of my best. And Jesus reminds the disciples that extravagance is not an empty gesture or a poor gesture when the object of your affection is worthy of such a commitment. Quick side note, I don't want to go gloss over this. So she's criticized because that money could be used to feed the poor. And Jesus responds by saying that they'll always have opportunities to express concern for those in need. But at this moment, Mary is expressing a greater need, a need to satisfy the deepest longings of her heart, an all-out devotion to God. Now, until we get to this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus was continually teaching to reach out and help and serve. And so he's not telling us not to do that. But what is at stake here is that Mary was full of joy because she saw who Jesus was and the kindness that she showed was the result, what we see here as she pours, pours out. Now, I believe that if it had not been for the precious ointment that she used, she would have found another way. Different people express their devotion in different ways, and that's beautiful. It's wonderful. But the question I have for us today is what type of fragrance does your relationship with Jesus leave to those around you? What type of fragrance? So consider this, the fragrance that Mary left, or I'm gonna invite us to use a little bit of our imagination. This is not, I'm not getting this from the biblical text here, but just from what we know, I wonder considering, I wonder what that supper smelled like, right? It might have been great feast. It might have been great uh, meat and olive oil and bread and things like that. But somewhere in that area, we know that the guests had walked through those trodden streets, right? Full of animal waste, dirt, maybe mud. We don't know. My boys have recently uh, purchased some cows. My uh, daughter and, and son uh, actually just brought another horse to the funny farm uh, yesterday. And it's, it's fair time in the summer in Iowa, right? We know at our, at our house, we know we have to watch where we step. This is real. There you go. Lisa, I'm going to get that. You do not. We're cleaning all the time at our house. Right? What fragrance do you want to leave 
And this is actually a little bit closer to what an alabaster jar would, would look like. We just sang the song before, before I started, the son of suffering. A few of those words, the perfect son of God in all his innocence, here walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief. Man of sorrows, son of suffering. The blood and tears, how can it be? There is a God who weeps. There is a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the son of suffering. Some imagine you are distant and removed, but you chased us down in merciful pursuit. To the sinner you were grace, and the broken you embrace. And in the end, your proof is in your wounds. Yes, the proof is in your wounds. Blood and tears, how can it be? Hallelujah, your cross, my freedom. Your stripes, my healing. All praise King Jesus, glory to God in heaven. Your blood still speaking, your love still reaching. All praise King Jesus, glory to God forever. As you think about those songs, as we sang those songs, as you meditate on those words, can you just see the love of your Savior poured out for you? Do you see him as the King of kings, high and lifted up like Mary did? And then, what fragrance do you want to leave as an offering of that? Just in case that got a little strong, I did bring nard that I will pass around. And you're welcome to smell if you, uh, if you want to put a little uh, dab on your wrist. Feel free. This is a sweet fragrance. I'll let you. Is that okay? There you go. The sweet fragrance that Mary brought. Interesting enough, in a lot of prayer situations, the alabaster or the nard is currently used as a prayer for intimacy and worship with God. So back in the in Jesus' time, it was used as, as an anointing oil for burial, and as it's, been, uh, as it's used today, a lot of times it's used for intimacy and worship. And I was thinking about that, how that evolved. And isn't it true that for, uh, for true intimacy and true worship with God, we have to die to ourselves? We have to bury ourselves, our old ways, our old our flesh, in order that we can have that intimacy with God? Let's continue in our mind's eye to crown Jesus as king and ruler of our life. And this is the source of where kindness starts. In this text, Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to a close. He knows that he is going to sacrifice his life so that the door to a restored relationship with the Father is open for you and for I. What good news it is that the Father gives the Son authority over all flesh. 
You and I serve the king of all mankind. He's the king of all the earth. And our king is the one who would ask the father to send him to die so that we might live. Our king willfully lays down his life for us who have done nothing to deserve this kindness so that we might have life abundantly. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. I love this teaching of who God is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross." What does it mean for us today to encounter the high king? The high king in whom all authority and kindness dwells? What would it look like if we would submit ourselves to his authority completely? All of creation answers to his name. All of humanity will one day bow before him. So today, an invitation to anoint him as king of everything, king of our plans, our efforts, our emotions, our relationships, finances, maybe something in your past, maybe what you're dealing with in the present or the future. And Tom talked about this a couple of weeks ago too, it's that place in our heart, it's from this place of our heart of seeing Jesus as King of Kings where we can produce the kind of kindness that is admirable. Once that relationship is established and we allow things to come out of the overflow of our hearts, we think about what fragrance we want to leave with our thoughts, our words, our choices. That's to be good, <clears throat> to be well. The last half, and I'm only gonna talk about this for a few moments, is feme, to establish good rapport. It's used when Jesus returned from being tempted in the desert for 40 days. We find it in Luke 4, 14 through 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a rapport, feme, about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. News spread about Jesus. People were talking. A reputation had been established. In the book, there's a quote that I appreciate. If you could put that slide up there. Live so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. <laughs> it's a little bit about what it looks like to establish good rapport. One temptation that we have 
in good rapport that I struggle with is living differently and responding differently depending on where we are and who we are with. Being admirable means being consistent with what we say and what we do. There's a consistency between our word and our life actions, no matter where we are or who we're with. I have a person I really admire in this area, and it's my husband, Jesse. Who you see and get on Sunday morning is who you get on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Friday morning, Saturday night. He's worked for some great employers here in town, and now he runs his own business. He introduces me to a lot of people. As he introduces me, I have no idea where that person sits in the corporate ladder and or what they do for an occupation. That person gets the same amount of respect from my husband every, every time. Do you have an example of someone who has good rapport, who establishes good rapport? Are you that person? Is your present at church, our work here at church, not supposed to be contained here? It's supposed to go out. Is your presence here at church the same that's in your home, in your school, in your workplace, on social media? Something for us to consider. Now, to lighten this up, I'm going to end this part with a, a humorous story because sometimes this can cause some contention, right? And so I ran into a funny story of a, a new minister where this caused a little bit of contention. He was trying to establish good rapport. <clears throat> he was new to the congregation, and if he was presented with a pie baked by a congregational member who was a poor cook. The pie was inedible, so the minister's wife reluctantly threw it in the garbage. Now, the preacher was faced with the problem of either thanking the baker and at the same time being truthful. And after much thought, he sent this note. Thank you for being so kind and thoughtful. I can assure you that a pie like yours never lasts long at our house. <laughs> Just to lighten it up a little bit. Let's go ahead and recap where we have been today. So the three C's of life, of your life on a billboard. Crown Jesus as prophet, priest, and king of your life. As Reagan mentioned, is there anything else in your life that currently has number one in your heart? Sometimes, like Reagan mentions, it's not even bad things. But those other affections, let him be first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all other things will be added unto you. That is the first place of getting our heart right. And out of that place, consider the fragrance that you want to leave behind with your relationship with Jesus. What could you offer him? We offer different things, and I think it's beautiful for him to see the different offerings. What is the fragrance that you want to leave behind? And in doing so, remember to choose to be kind, inconsistent. If you would do it here at church on Sunday morning, would you carry that out with you 
into the weak. That our thoughts, our words, our actions might be admirable. Amen? Amen. Dale, you're welcome to come back. Would you, would you pray with me? God, we just recognize you this morning that you are the king of kings. You are the one where true kindness dwells. And so can we just take a moment here? Holy Spirit, we invite you. Would you search our heart? Is there any place where you do not have first place in our lives? I mentioned some earlier plans, emotions, relationships, finances, past, present, future. We thank you and we praise you that you give us the tools that we need to align our thinking with your spirit and your word. God, we ask that you would continue to grow our minds into the single likeness of Christ. Walk with us as we engage in this life-giving process. And may each of us, individually and collectively, offer beautiful, beautiful sacrifices out of what you have done for us. May the fragrance be beautiful in your throne room. And we thank you that you promise that as we do this, we get your peace, we get your mind. We thank you for the abundance that you provide. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, amen. amen.